Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, the message is entitled, The Day of the Lord. The abomination of desolation Jesus prophesied to be fulfilled by the Antichrist, as we saw last week, was in the middle of the seven-year tribulation, called the Great Tribulation. It's part of the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord is a theme that runs throughout the Old Testament, as well as the New, that is prophetic in the outpouring of God's wrath to a God-rejecting world. Make sure you understand that clearly. Listen to the words of Jesus as he describes the day of the Lord on earth as the most horrible time in the history of man. It's our text, verse 21. Listen, Jesus says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, we've seen some pretty horrible times in man's history. World War I, World War II, Korea. You know, you got Iraq, you got Afghanistan, and many, many other things. Vietnam. What I want to do is take the words of Jesus and verify the prophetic accuracy according to the scriptures. The plumb line is the word of God, not human opinion. This is where we can give people answers to that. 1711 says the Bereans were more noble. In the Thessalonians, they searched the scriptures daily to find out if those things were so. Because 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that we who are spiritual can judge things by the Spirit of God, the scriptures. We have the mind of Christ. So our, our, our manner, the way we approach it is more a little different than usual. I'm just taking this text of the description of this horrible time. And we're going to verify it through the scripture so that you understand that it's not an isolated thing. But let's just say if this was the only, only verse, you better believe it. Because Jesus is speaking it. Okay? Let's look at the day of the Lord from three points of view. First, the day of the Lord in the Old and the New Testament. This is the telescope broad. Secondly, then we'll look at the day of the Lord according to Joel. This is microscope, close up. And then thirdly, the day of the Lord and the events, all the detail. Let's begin with the day of the Lord in the Old and New Testament. Now, the day of the Lord appears often in the scriptures, um, and it refers to uh, under many different names, not just this one. The phrase appears both Old and New Testament, uh, 75 times in the Old Testament, two times in the New. The phrase, the day of the Lord, is also referred to by other names such as the day of Yahweh, the day, that day, that great day, the great day. Okay, all these phrases refer to the day of the Lord. The various names all identify the period of time of God's wrath upon the sinful world. Isaiah chapter 2, 13, Ezekiel 30, Zephaniah 1, and we can go on and on. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, Revelation 6 down to 18. It's over and over again. Okay? Now, the words appearing to describe here is this horrible time of God's wrath that are very clear in their nature. That's the first thing we see as we go through the scriptures. These are the words that are used, Old and New Testament. And let's use biblical words so we don't have to redefine them or we all have the same dictionary, the same lexicon. These are words that are used. Time of affliction, distress, darkness, indignation, dissolution, punishment, judgment. 
those are not encouraging words. It's the time of God's wrath. The day of the Lord indicates a broad period of time. The period encompasses the tribulation, the great tribulation as we've seen, the millennial kingdom, the white throne judgment, and the heavens and the earth passing away. And then from there, then the new heaven, new earth, and Jerusalem, so on and so forth. Jesus gives the start of that day at the tribulation. Peter gives us the end of that day in 2 Peter 3.10 with the melting of heaven and earth. So it begins with the day of the Lord, and it ends with the melting of this heaven and earth. 2 Peter 3.10 will give you that. Now, the apostle Paul and Peter both describe the day of the Lord as a thief in the night. Listen to Paul. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 through 4, it says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, talking to Christians, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction shall come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, Christians, are not in darkness, so this day should overtake you as a thief. There's a big contrast here. Those that will be overtaken, those that won't. Light and darkness. Paul had just finished telling the Thessalonians about the Lord coming for them in the air, in the rapture, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Chapter 5, he makes a contrast of those who are left behind. Okay? Real simple. Peter puts it this way as we go to the end of the melting. In first, uh, 2 Peter 3.10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. 2 Peter 3.10. Now, you know, we, we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and, and, and Nagasaki. I mean, the, the, the heat in the middle of those things was atrocious. This is the whole world as we know it in the heavens, okay? There's not even an imagination. All you can do is just say it's going to happen. Horrible. The scriptures are clear that no one knows the day or the hour of the day of the Lord. That is the reason Matthew tells the Jews in verse 36 of Matthew 24, but of that day and hour, no one knows, no, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. Now, it's important that you understand verse 36 of Matthew 24, that it refers back to verse 34, which says, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. This verse, 34, as we have pointed out before, refers to all these things of the seven-year tribulation that take place, which is the day of the Lord. The one who sees these things, okay? Therefore, in Matthew, no man knows the day and the hour in context is the day of the Lord, the time of God's wrath. He's writing to the Jew, right? Jewish audience, all right? It's not the rapture. It's not the church he's talking to, but to the Jews. So it's very important that you know your audience. 
The scriptures are also clear that no man knows the day or hour when Jesus will come back for his church in the rapture. Those are two things. It says no man knows the day or the hour. Luke writes to the Greeks or Gentile, either one, and says this in, uh, in Luke um, 21, 36. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. All these things indicate the horrible things during the tribulation and great tribulation. In that context of Luke 21, 36, it's verse 20, um, 23 to 36. Great tribulation. Okay? So context is very important. The other two synoptic gospels, as you know, Matthew and Mark, they do not have the escape clause. Only Matthew does, because it's the Jew that he's writing to that's going to go through the tribulation. There's no need for the escape clause. John, on the other hand, is not a synoptic, and he wrote to the church. And Jesus is the first one to mention the rapture of the church in John 14, 3. Listen carefully. <clears throat> and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The key is to distinguish between coming to receive us to himself and coming back with him to set up the kingdom and the second coming. If you don't make that distinction, you will put the church in the tribulation and great tribulation. The only woman that you read about in the tribulation is Israel, who is pregnant and gives birth to Messiah, and the whore, Babylon. All right? The church is a virgin looking for a wedding. Don't insult God. Very important. Okay? So you make, must make that distinction. Um, so Jesus is the first one that mentions the rapture of the church to come back for his own, to receive him to himself. Therefore, the two full common factors of the rapture and the day of the Lord is that both occur at the same time. No one knows the day. When the rapture happens, that begins the day of the Lord. Is that clear? Otherwise, you will look to Matthew 24, and when you say, no man knows the day of the hour, it's, oh, the rat, no, no, no. Listen, listen, listen. Matthew 24, second coming, second coming, second coming, second coming, second coming, second coming. That's the text. That's the theme. That's the context. And the details of the tribulation, great tribulation, that will bring about the second coming. Matthew 25, same thing. The five foolish and wise virgins is not the church being raptured completely wrong second coming those who are waiting for the lord at the end of the tribulation who have been obedient faithful enter the kingdom they celebrate the wedding feast with the bride and jesus here on earth very very clear now the obvious conclusion from comparing the scriptures is as follow them the day of the Lord begins when the rapture of the church takes place. Both happen simultaneously. I can't say that enough, okay? But the audience makes the difference. But it's the same day. 
But also, there's a third element that happens simultaneously, what the scriptures tell us. Russia will attack Israel, Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39. So, when the rapture takes place, Russia attacks Israel, God destroys the army of Russia, and the day of the Lord begins. Three things all at one time. Okay? The difference is quite dramatic, though, to whatever category you stand in. To the believer, it is a day of joy, caught up in the air to be with the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, and with all our loved ones who have gone before us. To the unbelievers, a day of doom, given over to the strong delusion because they believe the lie, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. The prophet Daniel, as you know, says the day of the second coming is according to a certain number. I want you to think this through now. No man knows the day or the hour. The rapture, the day of the Lord. At the beginning here. But Daniel tells us the exact day Jesus comes back. Listen. 1,290 days from the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. Daniel 12, 11, in our text last week, Matthew 24, 15. Now, the emphatic warning is the world will not believe and be caught unawares, illustrated by the days of Noah in Matthew 24, 37 to 39. It's not that they don't know, it's that they do not believe. Now, all of us know what that means. Our parents told us, don't go there. We knew, but we didn't believe them. Okay? Real simple. In fact, when you get to Matthew 24, 40, and 42, um, the two that are taken, two will be in the field, two grinding at the mill. The two taken are to enter the kingdom of God. The ones left are left for judgment. How do I know that? Because the illustration is Noah. The one taken was Noah and his family. The ones left were for judgment. You have to follow the model of the illustration. That's the application. Okay? I don't have freedom to go any other way. The Bible interprets itself. If you stay on track as a good spiritual hound dog, don't go up rabbit trails. Second coming, second coming, second coming, tribulation, great tribulation. That's all we're talking about. Okay? You force yourself to stay on track. Very important. Now, the promise to the church of Philadelphia is this. In Revelation 3.10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from, listen carefully, the hour, the Greek article is there. The hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Literally, earth dwellers. I'm not an earth dweller. I used to be. I'm a heavenly citizen. I hold citizenship in Mexico because Mexico never gives you up. <laughs> Won't let you leave. And then America. And then heaven. The priority is heaven. Best place to live in the world? U.S. Okay? That's why I came here. Simple. I fly the American flag, not the Mexican flag. I'm glad I was born in Mexico. I'm glad for my culture. But listen, I am an American. All right? I salute one flag, America. 
That's it. So, this testing is on earth's dwellers. If you don't know Jesus Christ, this is going to be the most horrible time in the world. I, I'm not trying to scare the hell out of you. I wish I could, but I can't do that. You have to be convicted that you are an enemy of God, that your sin separates you from God, and that he loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And in that conviction, if you agree with God, you can call upon him, he will forgive you, he will save you. And then God begins to deal with your heart as a child of God, okay? So you, go, you don't get into heaven because of fear. You get into heaven because you respond to his love. That's why you get into heaven, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I get in. Not because I'm good. I'm good for nothing. All right? Wow. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Underline those things. Memorize them. Keep them in your heart. Now your head and your heart. Believing that God can reveal the future because he knows it is very, very important. Listen to Isaiah 46, 8 through 10. God, God says, uh, remember this. And show yourself men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times things that are not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Isaiah 46, 8 through 10. You were with us with our study in Daniel, the incredible prophecies in Daniel, the, the chance probability of them happening are so minute. Incredible. So these are some of the facts about the day of the Lord in the Old and New Testament. So this is the, uh, the telescope broad. Okay? Now let's, let's move in to examine the microscope more, more closely. Um, the day of the Lord according to Joel. Joel has five uh, statements uh, regarding the day of the Lord in this book. If you're with us, you remember in our study. We're not going to belabor it, but we'll go through and walk through them. Let me give you a little bit about Job's words. Job is the prophet of God. His name means Yahweh is God. He is the, one of the minor prophets. He ministered to Judah near Jerusalem. He probably knew Elijah and Elisha uh, through the school of the prophets. And uh, many believe Job coined the phrase the day of the Lord as well as the first to use it. Um, being one of the earliest prophets. Though there are others who believe in place Obadiah 10 to 20 years before, and it's a, he uses it one time in verse 15. There's only one chapter, and that's a prophecy against Edom. That's an interesting um, uh, chapter there, prophetically, because it speaks about those who try to take the land of Israel. God is against them, and they are against him. Ooh, don't touch the land. The people in the land, peanut butter and jam together. They belong together. Don't mess with God's people or his land. Do a history study on all who have. They're not very happy right now. As we were walking through Jerusalem, there was a graffiti sprayed on the wall. We were going to um, Ben Yehuda Street. And it says, Trump, not good for Iran. Very, very good. Amazing. You don't mess with God's people. We don't defend everything they do, but we're, we're, we're not that smart, but we're smart enough to know you don't mess with God's people. 
It's just that simple. Now, either way, Joel is identified as a prophet with the day of the Lord. Obadiah's message is prophetical in judgment against Edom, God's wrath. Joel's message is both historical and prophetical judgment for his day and for the future, short-term, long-term. Now, the first statement is found in Joel 1.15. It reveals the nature and the source. Listen carefully. Also for, that, for the day. Oh, I'm sorry. Alas, for the day. It's an expression I'll explain right now. For the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. So the nature of that day is destruction, as indicated by the phrase, alas, an exclamation of pain for the judgment coming. It's almost, it's a horrific understanding of it. And at the same time, alas, finally, because it's so due and overdue. The source is God Almighty in that text, as it shares through all Isaiah, Revelation, other books. The instrument is Satan, but it is the wrath of God in the day of the Lord. We must make that clear. God will use, you go to the book of Revelation, it was given to him, it was given to him, it was given to him. Nothing happens without God's permission. Okay? People are not robots, but God is in control. All right? We live in a fallen world. Satan the dragon persecutes the woman. Israel in the middle of the seven years that we saw, Revelation 12, 12 through 17. The dragon is granted to make war, granted to make war with the saints and to overcome them as he has authority over the world. This man is coming. He's going to rule the whole world. Okay? The world is looking for one man. The saints that you read in the book of Revelation 13, 7 are the tribulation saints and great tribulation saints, not the church. If you put them in there, you put the church in the tribulation. Context and time is very, very important. Now, the people involved are the Jews in the ungodly world. And the wrath of God is poured out for two very important reasons. And by the way, Jesus points that out in Matthew 24, 21 through 22. And again, I've given you already Revelation 3.10. But for two reasons. First, the Jews for having rejected their Messiah... And it's to prepare them for their Messiah. Jesus has already proclaimed judgment in Matthew 23, 37 to 39. And um, Zechariah says, they shall look upon him whom they have peers. Zechariah 12, 10. The Jews. Jesus, King of the Jews. That's who was crucified, ladies and gentlemen. Matthew presents them as such. The Gentiles for their ungodly deeds and blasphemies. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-9. Paul says, God will come back and take care of them. Okay? Um, God doesn't settle all of his debts in one day, but one day he'll settle all of his debts in business. Okay? Um, the phrase identifies a time of divine intervention to bring judgment to the earth. Uh, eschatology or eschatological term the day of the Lord, okay? That's all it means, the study of end things. Now, so that's the source and the nature. Secondly comes the statement in chapter 2, verse 1. Um, this statement reveals uh, a warning of certainty. 
He says, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in the, my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. The warning is symbolized by the trumpet, the sound of an alarm. You go back to Numbers chapter 10, the different trumpets for war, for retreat, for breaking camp, setting up camp, different things for the feast days. Um, notice the location, Zion, my holy mountain. That's Jerusalem, ladies and gentlemen. Not New York, not L.A., not Chicago. The alarm even in this pouring out of God's wrath, it's a warning. God is so merciful, so loving, he'll always warn until the end. God has warned the world since Genesis, Jude 14 and 15 tells us. He prophesied of his second coming, seventh from Adam, Enoch. Way back in Genesis about the second coming. Whoa, Amazing. Jesus proclaimed in the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Those were children of God. Those were children of Satan. It's only two families, ladies and gentlemen. The miracle is going from darkness, from the family of Satan, to light, the family of God. That's the miracle. Listen carefully. The natural is to go from light to darkness. That's not a miracle. I presume you still have a sin nature? If you don't, give me five seconds with you. I'll prove you wrong. Okay? God never has brought judgment without giving sufficient time of warning. He told Noah, I'm going to flood this world. I'm going to bring judgment. 120 years. Now, do you think God was a little impatient? I don't think so. He warned Sodom and Gomorrah by the two angels. He warned Pharaoh by sending Moses by the miracles, judgment on the gods of Egypt that were no gods. He sent Jonah over to Nineveh. The Ninevites were crazy people. They're like a Taliban, like ISIS. They skin people alive. They decapitate them. They do all kinds of stuff. Now you know why Jonah didn't want to go. I don't go there. The certainty of the day is marked by two things. Notice here in this verse 1. The day is so certain that all the earth should tremble. Doesn't mean they do. The day is just a matter of God's time and His timetable. The day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. In fact, Paul says it's like a woman with a child. It's inevitable. It's unavoidable. There's no escape. First Thessalonians 5.3. All you ladies understand this perfectly. When that baby's coming, it doesn't matter if you're in the diamond lane or at home or the hospital. It's coming. Okay? Nobody can stop them. Now notice the third one is found in chapter 2, verse 11. This statement reveals the severity of that period of time. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? The Lord leads the command with his heavenly army. Yahweh gives voice to his army. His camp is so great. The angels, millions upon millions. 
The Lord is strong and executes his word. And in other words, he cannot lie. He brings to pass exactly what he's declared. The day of the Lord is great and terrible. It will be unbearable. Who can endure it? Many people, they hear, ah, well, you know, I think I'll do okay. Okay. Sure. Jesus said it would be better to die than to live in those days. Paul says it's a time of spiritual deception. Jesus said the first thing out of his mouth, Matthew 24, 4, and Mark, and in Luke, let no man deceive you. Wow. Jesus said the love of many will wax cold, Matthew 24, 12. Jesus said tribulation as never before or ever will be. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. Matthew 24, 21, our text, and 22. In other words, if God let it go any longer than the last three and a half years, the world would destroy itself. People all say, oh, we're going to destroy it. Shut up. We're not going to destroy ourselves. God's going to destroy the world. He burns up this earth and heavens. Okay? Jesus actually comes back to save the world. Regardless of their rejection of him. He stops the armies of the world from destroying the world any further. If you look at the numbers tonight, we're going to be looking at some of those numbers. Um, by the time Jesus gets back and we come back with him, there's, there's not that many people left on earth. We're going to take the, uh, we're going to do the calculations with the present uh, population of the world and just keep knocking them off as we move through the uh, revelations, um, trumpets and seals and all that. It's pretty frightening. John tells us it is a time of false peace, famine, pestilence, death, persecution for those who do not accept Christ. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 through 9, the horse of the apocalypse. John says men will call on the mountains to fall on them and to hide them from the face of God and the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation 6, 16 and 17. They know where it's coming from, wrath from heaven upon the earth. You think they repent, they do not. Wow. Death will flee from them at one point for five months. Revelation 9, 5 through 6. Take a 45, pow, can't die for five months. Wow, pretty scary. Mm. The fourth statement reveals the salvation of the Lord in chapter 2 of Job, verse 31 and 32. The upsetting of nature is the sign here. He says, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. Now we had a bunch of yo-yos walking around with the blue moons, red moons, and everything else. The next time will be pink moons and stuff like that. Listen, don't be chasing these idiots. Okay? This is for the day of the Lord. Alright? You've got all these crazy people running around with all these end-time messages, newspaper end-time theology, instead of the Bible. It's crazy. So tell me about that. Come back in two weeks when it's supposed to happen. I'll, I'll call you a false prophet. Okay? It's a day of wrath right here. Those who reject will perish. The Lord will save repentant sinners, though. Look at verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in the mountain Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Those who? Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. Whoever. Now, he's focusing on the Jew, the remnant, but whosoever or whoever. 
That means anybody, not just those predestined, not just those chosen, frozen, whoever. What is the same message for the day of grace right now? Whoever. Jesus died for the whole world. Do not believe when people try to teach you that Jesus died only for those that he chose, those he predestined. Listen, my Bible says, John 3, 16, that he died for the whole world. God gave his son for the whole world. 1 John 2, 2, the propitiation for the whole world. Not only ours, but the whole world. All right? So don't fall into the Calvinistic theology. It's death. It preaches a different God than the Bible. It's God. Pretty heavy. The outpouring of God's Holy Spirit at Pentecost was only partially fulfilled. And because if you read the book of Acts, there's chapter 2, Peter quotes it from the day of Pentecost, and he goes right into the second coming, and he doesn't make a distinction. You ever notice that? Okay? Short term, long term. Gentile and Jew will be included. Tribulation, great tribulation. But he focuses on the Jew right here. The specific ones to be delivered are Jews, Mount Zion and Jerusalem, the covenant of promise. God will remember it. They'll turn to him. It goes back to Deuteronomy 4, 30 and 31, and the promise to David, 2 Samuel 7, 16, and many others, the remnant. The confirmation is given among the remnant of the Lord's call. Paul and John confirmed this in truth. Romans 11, 25 through 28, blindness and part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile come in. The sum total of the people to be saved before the rapture, then God will deal with Israel. The blinds will be removed. Revelation chapter 7, 4 through 8 tells us also, and the Lord said he would regather the Jews from all the world, the four corners, the four winds, same thing. Um, now, because of that, there's a lot of people that are Christians that believe the earth is flat today. Four corners, four winds. My Lord, I am not kidding. Go on the internet and find out all the morons that believe the earth is flat. That we lied to them. Unreal today. Unreal. Matthew twenty four thirty two. His coming is near. He will regather them. He indicates taking place in the tribulation. Illustrated by the fig tree that begins to bud. And when that happens, you know the summer is just a couple of months away. Right? Verse 32. Not a long, long, long time. It's just, it's around the corner. Yes, the nation of Israel declared its independence for the third time, March 14. Or May 14, 1948. But the parable of the fig tree, as we'll expound tonight, does not teach the rebirth of the nation of Israel. It's an illustration of the nearness of the second coming. That's the theme. Okay? The rebirth of the nation of Israel is given to us by Ezekiel 37. The vision of the valley of dry bones. It is a twofold process. The people are brought back to the land as we see now. The second phase is during the tribulation period. His spirit is poured out upon the remnant. Twofold. All right? Prior to World War II, there were less than 50,000 Jews living in Israel. There are 6. million Jews in Israel today. I looked it up in the year 2018. Jews have migrated from Africa, from Afghanistan, from Russia, from, from everywhere. But it's only the beginning. God will recover all of those at the end of the tribulation. The fifth 
And last statement revealed by Joel here reveals the setting up of the kingdom. So he gives us kind of a chronological um, direction here. Uh, 3.14, he says, Multitude, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Multitudes will be in the valley of decision to fight against Jesus. Joel 3, 9 through 11, Psalm 2, why do the heathen rage? Why do we imagine a vain thing? He said, well, have them in derision. He will laugh at them. And the psalm finishes, kiss the son lest he be angry with you because they were idolaters. That's what you do with idols. Some of you were ex-Catholics. I was. I kissed my little saints. I kissed my scapular. Kissed my rosary. All right? I kissed Peter's foot. I Whatever. Okay? That's idolatrous. says, you want to smack somebody a big lip? You do that to Jesus. You worship him, no one else. Psalm 2 is a preview of Revelation 19. Second coming. All right? Very important. Time together. Multitude will be in the valley of decision to be judged for the Lord Jesus will judge the nations. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. We have the judgment of the nations there. Israel will occupy the kingdom then. The fulfillment of all the boundaries. Promises were given to David. If you look up, well, let's go back to Abraham in Genesis 15, 18. If you look at the boundaries, it goes all the way up the Euphrates River, Lebanon, all that area. That's all Israel's territory. It's never been occupied. But in the kingdom age, it's all going to be Israel's. If you have, if weren't here for a millennial uh, series, p- pick up the millennial thing. I show you the worship, the government, the land, the boundaries, everything, the temple, everything during the uh, millennial kingdom. Very important. Now, by the way, it goes back to Genesis twelve three, and you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Abraham's seed. Very important. Israel will occupy the kingdom. Very very clear. And um, the promise of the new covenant, God will put their uh, his laws in their minds and in their hearts and gather them from all countries. Um, the prophecy of Jeremiah 31, 33 through 37, the book of Hebrews speaks about a still future. It's happened in our heart as the church, but it hasn't happened to the remnant that's coming. Now, uh, you know that man believes he's good. That's a teaching today. And that there's, um, there's no need to believe in God. Um, and so, man, the educators, the politicians, and even within the church, the liberal church, or the emergent church, and many others, through the German thought of neo-Orthodox in the um, late 40s came in and inundated all our seminaries. And so you have uh, pastors out there teaching things that are so unbiblical, and um, they just um, refuse to acknowledge God. You know, they think they're smarter than God and everything else. Um, and since the time of the birth of Jesus... The, the the era has always been known as A.D., representing the specific year of the Christian era. Uh, the medieval Latin anno, which means year, and domini genitive of domino is Lord, and the year of the Lord. But now it is being called C.E., the common era. All of you who are in school, universities, even high school, I'm sure you understand that. All the schools are, all the books are redacted to C.E., not, not uh, A.D. and stuff like that, or B.C., um, now, they want to do everything to erase the memory of Christ from history, but they can't do that. But even if they could, let's just say they could, the church will always remind them. And in spite of them just explaining God away, God is still going to judge them. 
All right? You know, the world is like, you know, a kid who acts smart with his friends, you know, oh, my parents ain't going to do nothing. I'll tell them what to do and all that. And then, you know, dad gets home. You know, everybody has a big mouth down here. When God shows up, nobody's going to have a big mouth. Guaranteed. So this is the perspective of the day of the Lord according to Joel. The microscope. Very, very specific. Lastly, the day of the Lord and the events. Now, the day of the Lord is an event that takes place again at the same time as the rapture. I keep repeating this purposely. They happen simultaneously. The age of grace closes. The time of God's wrath begins. The day of the Lord being a period of time has many events. The day or the day of the Lord is the prophetic time. Those three things will happen simultaneously. The rapture, the attack on Israel by Russia, and the day of the Lord begins. The day of the Lord does not describe a one-time event then. Though it is an event that happens at one time in the chronological running time of man, it happens, but it encompasses many events. And no angel knows the day, no man knows the day, not even Jesus knows the day, okay? And that goes for the rapture too because they happen at the same time. The day of the Lord rather describes the period of time. If you wanted to add the years, we can certainly say it's a thousand seven years. The seven years of tribulation and the thousand year reign. We're not giving any increment for the white throne judgment. So we just leave that out. A thousand seven days, seven years for sure. We know that for sure. Now, the rapture of the church... In contrast, is a one-time event, removing the bride of Christ from the earth to reward each of us for what we've done and to be married to Jesus. When we're raptured, we go before the bema seat of Christ to receive our rewards. First Corinthians three twelve through fifteen, Second um, Corinthians five ten, and wood, hay, or, or stubble. Silver, gold, precious stone, that which is consumed, gone, that which is purified and remains permanent, you get rewarded. We're judges by fire. But even if you lose all your reward, you're saved by grace through faith. So when we're raptured, you're a Christian, you're in heaven, okay? The motive will be the, the, why he judges us, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Why I did it and how I did it. God is not concerned with how much I do or what I do or how much money I give. He's concerned why I do it and how I do it. That's what he rewards me for. Very important. Now, too many carnal pastors encourage people to do things carnally, and they think they're going to get reward, but not going to get nothing. Crispy critter, gone. Okay? Gone. As we are judged and rewarded, then we are married with Jesus in heaven. The wedding feast is on earth at the second coming. Jesus gave already the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Revelation 19, 7 through 9, the marriage is in heaven. The feast is on earth. Matthew 25, 1 through 14. We return with Jesus at the end of Matthew 24. Okay? Very simple. The day of the Lord, in contrast, refers to the thief in the night, not the rapture. And so the period begins with the seven-year tribulation and great tribulation, which fulfills the 70th week of Daniel, the last week of Daniel 9.27. That's all that's left. Now, the day or the days of the Lord 
sets the stage for particular events during the seven-year tribulation and great tribulation, as we've seen. The appearance of the Antichrist on the earth in the opening of the first seal, seven-year covenant with him, as Daniel 9.27 says. The conquering through diplomacy is evident by the bow with no arrows. He conquers through diplomacy in Revelation 6, 1 and 2. The lawless one, the son of perdition, who will help the Jews build their temple, will stop the sacrifice of that temple, as we saw last week, and he will declare himself God and demand that everybody worship him with a mark on the right hand or the forehead. Daniel 9, 27 again, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 2 through 4. Very, very clear. Revelation 13 also gives us that. Now, there will be two witnesses that will be giving the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all the false deceivers a bad time the last three and a half years in Revelation 11, 7 through 12. And God will allow them to be overcome at that time, and they will lay in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. And the whole world's going to be in the party. They're going to say, nah, man, every eye will see them. Internet, anything. You realize something happens right now in Afghanistan? Boom, they put on the net. You know it, okay? All the information is out there. People give up their privacy so willingly today. When the Antichrist comes, he's going to have all your information if you're left behind. He's going to know how many freckles you have. (laughs) The 144,000 Jews will preach the gospel, Revelation 7, 1 through 8. 14, 1 through 5. The woman Israel will be persecuted. And all who stand for Jesus Christ during the tribulation, great tribulation, many will be killed by the beast. Revelation 12, Revelation 13, 16 through 18. The everlasting gospel will be preached then by the angel, as Paul tells us, and uh, or Matthew tells us by, through Jesus in Matthew 24, 14, as well as John in Revelation 14, 6. The destruction of the commercial and religious Babylon um, will come to an end. Um, God will destroy her completely, Revelation 17 and 18. And then the return of Jesus Christ with his church uh, to the battle of Armageddon and to set up the kingdom after the seven year. Jesus makes this very clear through Matthew 24, 29 down to 30, as well as um, the angels remember when the apostles uh, um, walked with Jesus out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus would just was taken up in a cloud. And the angel said, why are you guys standing here gazing? The same way he left, he's going to come back. He left from the Mount of Olives, he'll come back, step on the Mount of Olives, cleave in two, come back the very same way. Interesting. Revelation 1.17 says it'd be like lightning. No one has to tell you when lightning comes, everybody's going to see him. And the first thing Jesus will do when he returns is to judge the nations in Matthew 25, 31 through 32. For how they treated the Jew during the Great Tribulation. Wow. Interesting. So the day of the Lord from the seven years ends there. But then you have the millennial kingdom for the day of the Lord. It includes the thousand year reign of Christ with his church on the earth to fulfill all the promises of Israel. Satan will be bound for a thousand years with a chain bottomless pit in order that he not deceive the nations until the end of the thousand years. Uh, Revelation chapter 20 gives us this verse 1 through 3. And those beheaded for their witness of Christ during the tribulation are part of the first resurrection. They will reign with Christ. Again, Revelation 20 verse 4 through 6. And at the end of the thousand years uh, of Christ, Satan will be released then and he will deceive the nations once again, bringing 
an attack against the saints and the city of God, Jerusalem, the holy city, the beloved city. But God will bring fire from heaven and devour them. Revelation 20, verse 7 through 9. Then Satan is cast in the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet have been for a thousand years. God's righteous judgment for his rebelliousness against God. Revelation 20, verse 10. And then you have the white throne judgment. For all the unbelievers who have um, rejected the gospel from the beginning of time. And they are brought before Jesus Christ to be judged for all they've ever done and committed. The books are open. Okay? Jesus is Jewish. He's good books. No mistake. There's going to be levels of punishment as there's levels of reward. Okay? It's on both sides. And they will be cast in the lake of fire, Gehenna, which burns with fire and brimstone. The worm never dies. Fire is never quenched. You say, I can't believe that. Well, tough. He's a holy God. Turn or burn. That's what the gospel says. It's real simple. By the way, that's motivated by love. Okay? It's not turn or burn. It's turn so you don't burn. That's the gospel. Revelation 20, 11 through 15 gives us that. After that, you have um, the dissolving of the heaven and the earth as we know it, and the new heaven and new earth which uh, 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13 tells us in Revelation 21. All these events are there in them, okay? Tribulation, great tribulation. Then the thousand years, they're lined up for us. You know, men of faith have always um, seen the future clear and understand the evil heart of man due to their faith in the scriptures. Listen to um, Benjamin Franklin in his speech at the Connell Convention and what he said. Um, quote, God governs the affairs of men. I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in the political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to the future ages. And so it has. This nation began with God. It has drifted slowly away from God. Like all other nations. Head of gold, Babylon, Medo-Persia, arms of silver, belly of brass, Greece, legs of iron, Rome. We've taken a break. Church age. Last empire, ten toes. Iron and clay. They don't mix. The Antichrist. The last government. If Hitler would have accomplished world Empire, you could have thrown your Bible away. There's never been a world empire since Rome. God is right on schedule. Do you believe God's word or do you not? The world is headed for the day of the Lord, ladies and gentlemen. And we need to pray for those, our loved ones, our friends, those we work with. And that God would open those doors for us to share with them. Motivated by love knowing that only God can convict them and turn them as he did you. No one else. But you don't want to be politically correct regarding the gospel. You don't want to think you're more compassionate than God. 
Okay? You just give them the vegetables along with the meat and the potatoes. Don't leave the vegetables out. Okay? Just give them the whole works. Very important. So this is the day of the Lord and some of the events it includes. We can understand these things. Isn't it to people, but what about that? Well, it doesn't say anything about that. Why don't you focus on what is said? Worry about what you can't understand. And what you don't, put it there. Further information. No big deal. And so this is the day of the Lord from the three point of view. The day of the Lord in the Old and New Testament. That telescope. The day of the Lord according to Joel, that microscope. And the day of the Lord and the events. All the details. Very important. I've gone out of my way to kind of overlap and everything last week and this week because I want you to be familiar with these terms and see the signposts so you know exactly what the Bible teaches. Father, thank you for your grace, your love and goodness. We love you. We thank you. We pray for everybody listening here, Lord, in the radio or somewhere in the world, Lord, in the Internet. That you would deal with their hearts, that you love them and you care and you want to forgive them and make them new, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Um, you know, we're, we're bad news. I mean, it's hard for us to, to, to know how to forgive. In fact, let me just say it's impossible for us to forgive. I love vengeance. I, I love vengeance in my, my flesh. Are you kidding me? Man, it is so nice. But uh, the problem with that is that um, it comes back. And, and, and then you've got to do something worse. But, but the Lord forgives us for our shortcomings, our sin, our, our, our deeds, our thoughts, acts, everything we've done against God. And he makes us brand new. If I believe Jesus died for my sins and the wrath of God fell upon him and he literally tasted death for me. And if I believe that, I can call upon him and be forgiven and be saved and be a child of God. That is God's revelation. That is not my opinion. That is God's revelation. God has been saving people from the beginning of time. Every generation who believe the revelation of God. It's called faith. Your faith will always lead you back to the revelation. If what you believe is not found in the Bible, it's foolishness. If you believe what's found in the Bible, that's faith. And if you believe it, you act on it. You don't say, well, I think I'll think about it. Don't think too long. Your life's like a vapor smoke. One day you're here, next day you're gone. If you agree with what I just said, you believe what the Bible says about you, then you can call upon him right now. Some of you are out there in the world somewhere. You can be saved right now. This is your prayer of repentance if you want to be born again. He's going to forgive you right where you're at. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.